everyone it was great hearing some of you guys join us in that song at this time I invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Amen. Let's sing praises to him this morning.
you are. You are the God of Abraham. You are in command of every throne. You are the God of majesty. You saw the heart in me and made a
everybody. Welcome back again to Fusion this morning. It's time to send our students downstairs, our little ones. So if you guys want to head over towards our entrance over there, of course, any kids that want to stay and hang out with us up here, you are also welcome to do that anytime too. We're going to head you over that direction and then we'll send you away with that parting blessing. Good to see all you guys this morning. You enjoying the start of your summer so far? I'll take that as a yes. All right. Adults, with me, please. The Lord be with you. Have a good morning, guys. Enjoy your time downstairs. All right, that's going to take us into a time of prayer. If you would join me, I'm going to start with verse 12 and 13 from Psalm 27. Let's pray. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Lord, thank you for this reminder and confidence booster. This bold statement that we will see your goodness. The goodness of the Lord in the land of the living is a welcome thought. Lord, challenge us to look for the good in this world. We're surrounded by negative headlines and things to worry about, but Lord, please grant us the eyes and the ears that we need to see and hear the beauty in your world. Help us to focus on the good and help other people do so as well. Help us to be the people of optimism out of the knowledge that you want what's good for us, that you are in our corner. 
Remind us to be a people of gratitude that intentionally fix our attention on all the good things you have blessed our lives with, Lord. But Lord, we also know that when sin entered this world, hardship did as well. There are many in our community that are facing very difficult situations. There are loved ones that are lost and severe illnesses that are being battled. There are broken relationships and financial pressures. Lord, we boldly pray for you, intervene, for you to intervene. We pray that you will work in ways that only you can do to either relieve the issues at hand or to grant the strength that is needed to work through them. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to be a strong community of believers that walks alongside of each other when things are hard. Give us the empathy, the courage, and the wisdom to help those in our community that needed a partner to walk along with them down the difficult roads that they may have to travel. Lord, thank you for the onset of summer, even though it feels a little cooler this morning. Thank you for the beauty of West Michigan, for Lake Michigan, and all the other lakes and parks that we're blessed with in our area. They bring so many opportunities for adventures with families and friends. Help us to intentionally designate time for those moments, Lord. Help those moments to be rejuvenating and exciting for us. Give us the energy, the time, and the resources to take full advantage of all that summer has to offer for us in the next few months. Lastly, Lord, we're grateful for this moment, this moment of time to just be here and just to talk to you. Prayer is a beautiful gift. To be able to have a personal conversation with the God of the universe is truly a miraculous opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for showing us that much love. Bless our time together today and help us to hear your message clearly. Be with Pastor JB. Help us to enjoy our time together with the potluck afterwards, Lord. And thank you again for this time. Amen. Thanks, Nate. There we got the fist pump. We're good now. Hey, good morning. Summer's here. I almost said, like, I was almost going to say, how are you doing? And it's like, that's not conducive to this environment. But how are you doing? We'll try it anyway. Yeah, hey, good morning. It is, uh, it is good to be together. It's a beautiful weekend. We, we need some rain, so hopefully we get a little more rain. Amen. Uh, I know our farmers are desperate for that rain, and uh, so those of us who care a little bit about our lawns, we're desperate for the rain, too. I've confessed that before. Mine's looking better, by the way. So if you want to drive by our house, Hickory Row Woods, there you go. It's looking okay. What am I doing? Okay. All right. Hey, uh, a couple of announcements real quick. Um, the rain came, and so we have a, we have a potluck tonight, but instead of, gonna, instead of going to the pavilion, we're going to do the potluck right here. Does that sound good? And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to need some help, though, changing over the room. And, and Norlin is with a mission team in Honduras, so we're, we're praying for our mission team in Honduras. Uh, but w after the service, what we'll need to do is the center two section of chairs, we're going to stack those chairs eight to ten high, maybe less, depending, gauge that. And then we're going to slide those cent the center chairs up t toward the stage. We're gonna, then we're going to fill in that empty space with the tables and bring the outside section chairs in. Does that make sense? You with me? You follow me? And uh, here's a little secret for those of you who don't know this. It took me like fifth, or six months to realize this, but did you know that some of the chairs in the center section are cushioned? Did you know that? Some of you on the outside are like, what? Yeah, it pays to sit front and center, okay? Anyway, just a little, little side note there. Uh, but we are week two of our, of our summer series uh, in, called Teach Us to Pray. 
And, uh, and during this series, what I mentioned last week is what we're gonna do is slowly and methodically work our way through the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It's a prayer we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, for many of us, though, as, as we mentioned last week, the Lord's Prayer has become so familiar to us that we can, we can rattle off the words with little thought of what we're actually praying. Now, uh, two things. There's something beautiful about that. Uh, there's something beautiful about knowing this prayer. There's something beautiful about memorizing scripture and being able to just speak those words. But as we mentioned last week, there's also this risk that we, in the familiarity, we might miss the beauty and the wonder and the power of, of these words that Jesus taught us to pray. And so our hope is that by, by slowing down this summer, that the Spirit would open our hearts to the rich meaning of these words, that we might rediscover how this prayer can, can really ultimately draw us closer to Jesus. And so that's the hope for this summer. Now, this week we're going to focus on just the first two words uh, of this opening address to God. The prayer opens with our Father who art in heaven or our Father in heaven. This week, we're gonna cover just those first two words, our Father. Next week, we'll cover in heaven or who art in heaven and kind of talk about how those two phrases kind of balance each other out. But the question that we are asking ourselves today is, is what do these two words mean? What does it mean to pray our Father? What does it tell us about God? What does it tell us about us as God's people, and then, and then what does it mean for our lives even today? Now, for the series, what I want to do is try something a little bit different as we step into God's word. I mentioned this last week. The, the hope is to, again, zero in on these words of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, for 31 weeks, we were covering the whole Bible, right, and covering these massive stretches of Scripture, uh, and in the spirit of really zeroing in on these words that Jesus taught us to pray, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, that's going to serve as our Scripture reading all summer. And so all summer, we're going to uh, read these words, uh, but here's, the, here's the, little, the little twist. I'm going to read the first part. This then is how you should pray, and then you're going to read with me. We're going to read in unison and offer this as a prayer together. You with me? Does that make sense? Uh, so with that, I invite you, if you're willing and able to stand as we honor God, as we pray to God this morning, uh, reading and reciting the words Jesus taught us to pray from Matthew 6, verses 9 and following. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also has forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's continue our prayers together. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for this prayer that we're gonna, we're gonna study this summer. Lord, as we consider just these first two words and how we are able to address you as our Father, Spirit, we pray that you would open our hearts, that, that you would heal our hearts where some healing needs to take place, but Lord, that you would open our hearts to, to receive, Holy Spirit, what you have to teach us uh, as who you are, Heavenly Father. And form us and shape us in all of these things more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. God's people say it together. Amen and amen. 
Just recently, a couple weeks ago, in fact, um, our family uh, watched uh, on Netflix uh, the new musical version of Roald Dahl's uh, book, now movie, now musical, uh, Matilda. It's on the screen. Are you familiar with Matilda? How many of you have actually read the book? Anyone? Back in the day? Or how many of you have seen the movie, the movie from like the 90s? Or there's this new musical. I'm just having everyone like raise their hands. It's kind of fun to watch from up here. Uh, anyway, we watched this new, this new uh, rendition of Roald Dahl's Matilda. By the way, just thinking about uh, these books and these movies by Roald Dahl, Another one of Roald Dahl's uh, books is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And, I, and James and the Giant Peach. I was just reflecting, like, Roald Dahl, like, uh, he kind of toes the line between whimsical and, and kind of creepy. Amen? Yeah, it's like, that's kind of whimsical and fun, but Willy Wonka is kind of terrifying. Anyway, uh, so he's got, but it's a, it's, a, it's a fun movie, and we were watching Matilda. And if you're not familiar with the story of Matilda, um, it's about this incredibly gifted young girl uh, who's got some powers and whatnot being raised by uh, just these awful parents. Her parents are, are completely self-absorbed. They're unethical in many ways. They're, they're heartless. And, uh, and, and, and then she gets sent to this terrible school ruled by the tyrannical principal, Miss Agatha Trunchbull, right? So if you're familiar, and, and so... This is the kind of the plot of the movie, but we're watching the beginning of the movie when, when, when Matilda's interacting with her parents, and we're just watching these just awful parents, uh, Harry and Zinnia Wormwood. Uh, well, what a name that is, you know? Uh, only from the mind uh, of, uh, of Roald Dahl. But, but they're just treating Matilda like absolute garbage. And, uh, and, and, and my kids are kind of getting worked up about this, right? And, and I look over at Bryce, and I'm like, well, what do, you, what do you think about Matilda's parents? And he's like, ah, they're, they're the worst. I, I'm so mad at them. I'm going to punch them, you know. I, I don't know exactly what he said. But he was, like, really worked up about how terrible Matilda's parents were, and, and, and rightfully so. Now, now, me always fishing for a compliment, I kind of saw this as an opportunity because, you know, the bar is set pretty low at this point in his mind. And so I'm like, well, hey, buddy, like, what do you think about your mom and dad? And he looks at me, he's like, you are the best daddy in the whole world. And he gives me a hug and a kiss. And then he goes over to Yvonne and says, you're the best mommy in the whole world. So if you ever need a little boost, you know, parents, watch Matilda and, and ask your kids how you're doing. And, and then you'll be like, well, can you remember that next time I ask you to finish your dinner or clean your room, you know? Um, anyway, kind of share this kind of fun story because here's the reality. Uh, this morning, we're going to consider uh, God as our Father. And when we say, when we say Father, I, I think it's important uh, to recognize uh, that word can be packed with a lot of different connotation and emotion for some of us. And, and for some of us, uh, the, the emotion, the connotation of Father is something really positive and something that we're really thankful for. And, and others, that word is packed with all kinds of negative emotions and things. And, and it just, it just rem reminds us that when we think of fathers, mothers, parents, like there's this, there's this spectrum of, of, some, of, of parents in this world, uh, some who are, who are like awful and maybe even worse than Mr. and Mrs. Wormwood and others who are, who are great and, in many ways. And, and so as we think about addressing God as Father, what we really need to zero in on is what, is, what does Jesus mean when he invites us to say and to pray our Father? 
And that's gonna be our task for, for much of this morning. Uh, and to answer that, we're gonna begin by tracking this idea of God as Father through the scriptures a bit. Let's begin with just talking about Father. It's important to note that, that Father is, is, is an, an idea, uh, the idea of God as Father, let me say, uh, would not be a completely foreign concept to Jesus' first disciples who were, who were Jewish, right? Uh, it's an image that is found in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, though it's, it's not a common one. Uh, a quick survey of the Old Testament reveals that the Hebrew word for father, which is the word ab, A-B, and, and you can kind of re- remember that from Abram or Abraham, ab, right? That's the root there, ab is father. It's used 14 times in the Hebrew Bible in reference to God. Now, if you were to compare that to other names for God, like Yahweh or Elohim, uh, it pales by comparison. Those are used far more frequently, uh, but it is used in reference to God in the Hebrew scriptures. Most often, though, this imagery is used in reference to God as, as the father of the nation of Israel, uh, as in Exodus chapter four, uh, or as the father of the the messianic line of David, so that God would be the father of the line of David who would be the Messiah, as in uh, 2 Samuel 7. The other dominant correlation uh, to this image of God is is as God as the creator of life. And so God God as father signaling that God is the one who created us and formed us, as in Isaiah 64 at the bottom there on the screen. Uh, Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter, right? God's creative power to form his creation. And the other picture is of God as, as father, as a redeemer. Uh, we get that a little bit in Exodus 4 where God is going to redeem and deliver the people out of uh, slavery in Egypt. But later on in the prophets, the same image is used to, that God is the father who's going to redeem the people out of exile, right? And so we have these two kind of dominant uh, uh, ideas that are tied to this idea of God as father, God as creator God uh, who creates this world, but also God as the redeemer, the one who will deliver the people from slavery and exile. That's kind of the dominant theme in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. But as you turn over to the New Testament, what you're going to quickly notice is that Jesus uses this address uh, quite differently than in the rest of the Hebrew Bible. In fact, a quick survey of the Gospels reveal that Jesus uses this word father in the Greek, uh, patir, uh, to address God well over 60 times. In fact, if you're reading closely the Gospels, what you'll notice is that this is the only way that Jesus addresses God. He always addresses God as Father. There's only one exception to that, which is found in Matthew 15 or Matthew 27 and Mark 15, when Jesus is on the cross and he's quoting Psalm 22 and he says this, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" It's the only time Jesus doesn't address God as Father, and, and actually that makes sense and kind of makes that moment all the more powerful because this is the moment when Jesus is separated from God the Father. That's pretty powerful, right? But here's the other word in the New Testament that I think offers some insight to the address. It's important to recognize uh, the New Testament is written in ancient Greek, uh, but Jesus and his disciples would not have spoken Greek, Greek. Uh, they would have spoken Aramaic. Uh, and in, in, the, in the scriptures, in the, in the, in the New Testament, uh, the word for father in Aramaic is Abba. And the word Abba is used 
uh, three different times in the Greek New Testament in Mark 14, verse 36, as well as in two of Paul's letters to the, to the Romans and to the Galatians. Uh, in Mark 14, verse 36, Jesus uses this word to address uh, the Father um, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? On the screen, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, now some commentators have argued that this is Mark telling us, signaling us, this is the word Jesus would have used uh, to address his Father, Abba. Now, maybe some of you have maybe heard this before, but the, the, the Aramaic word Abba is, is a more common familial form of the word father. Uh, many scholars point out that it is a way that a child would address their father from a very young age. Uh, most of us, for example, today, most kids, I don't think, address their dads as, as father, but they use other words like dad or, or daddy or some will say papa, right? And so I think that's kind of a, a better correlation for this word Abba. Uh, the, 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 the little change is that uh, in the Aramaic, there's this, still this touch of respect and reverence, uh, which would have been appropriate for the ancient world. Like at no point in the ancient world, like respect and honoring your father and mother, like that was a high value. And so this was not a form of disrespect. No, Abba, there's this... So, so some commentators would prefer like dearest father or dearest dad. Like it's this familiar, it's intimate, and yet this still reverent address of a father. As we think about that, step into our own context, and, and I think it might be helpful for us to consider, uh, just imagine how a, a child approaches a loving and, and generally good parent, right? And, and when a child addresses a, a, a parent, uh, there's a closeness, and there's a love, but there's also this trust and security. And when I say that, I don't mean that in like a, a childish way, like a naive or immature way, but I'm leaning more into a, a childlike way, right, which is more valued. Uh, think about how children uh, in relatively healthy environments, think about how they see their parents, and, and you see young kids and how they view their mom and their dad is, is, is kind of, um, it's kind of exaggerated, right, to what they really are. Like kids see their parents as like, as like superheroes, right? Like they are the most loving, they are the strongest, like, you know, my dad can beat up your, you know, like they have this kind of inflated uh, image of their parents, which makes all the sense in the world because at a young age, who is the primary image of who God is supposed to be in your life for a child? It's your parents. Your parents are the ones who are supplying for your needs. They're the ones who are watching over you, which, which is why when that is broken, it's so tragic. But here's the thing. When we think about how, how kids view their parents in kind of this, this, this inflated sort of way, when we think about God as Abba, as Father, that's not inflated at all. <laughs> Because God is exactly all loving. God is powerful. God is, is superhuman. He's beyond human. He is all those things that, that children, young children, in a childlike way, heap upon their earthly parents. God is all that and more as our heavenly Father. It is a term that signals to us a level of intimacy and love, but also wisdom and trust that we, that we can lean into God and, and, and have faith and trust in who he is. Now for us, it's become so familiar, but we just need to pause and understand how profound 
this would have been for Jesus to address God this way. And then, uh, not only that, but invite his disciples to address God in the same way. This prayer opens with Jesus saying, this then is how you should pray. You say this, our Father. And in those two words, encapsulated in those two words is the profound wonder of the gospel. Because Jesus invites us to address God in the same way that he addresses God as Father or Abba. The Apostle Paul makes this connection beautifully in in two of his epistles. In fact, the two instances where where Paul uses this this Aramaic word Abba is in Romans 8 and Galatians 4. And it helps us understand who we are in Christ as God's adopted children. I want to read for you Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, where Paul beautifully sums up the gospel and its implications. The words are on the screen. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. It's a summation of the gospel. The the Greek word for adoption to sonship is a compound word that I'm I'm not going to make you say because I can barely say it. Uh, But it is the word uh, hoiothesia. See, I'm not going to make you say that one. But hoiothesia, it's a compound Greek word uh, from huios, which is son, and tethemi, which is the verb to place. So the word uh, adoption to sonship literally means to place sonship or to place the the title of son on someone. And so we see how adoption is is a really helpful word. Um, And and don't get hung up by son. Uh, This applies to both men and women. But in the ancient world, who received all the benefits of the father's estate, right? It was the son. And so we hang on to that sonship word because because we become, men and women become children of God, full benefactors to the Father's, uh, all the benefits of the Father, right? We become heirs to the Father. Through Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, those who are in Christ Jesus become heirs, children of God. Therefore, we are able to call out to God, Abba, Father, as full members of God of the family of God with all the benefits and standing of natural born children. And, and in fact, I, 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 love, I love the use of the word adoption here because many of us here, right, have embraced the gift of adoption. And if you talk to any parents who have embraced this gift of adoption, uh, there is no difference between the adoptive child and biological children, right? They are of equal standing. And I think that is a powerful representation because do you understand that God the Father loves you and sees you in equal standing with his son, Jesus Christ? That's powerful. And that's the gospel. He feels that way about each of us, but in a way that is more perfect than we could even put into words. In just two opening words of the Lord's Prayer, it has revealed the profound truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That in Christ Jesus, we become adopted children of God who are now able to call on God as Abba, Father, Dad, in prayer. Is that good news? Can I get an amen? (laughs) That is good news. 
Now that is an incredible truth, but the natural question then becomes, well, what, is this, what does this mean for us? What's the implication of having a, a father in heaven? First, let's clarify something, that God is, is, a, is a good, good father. Again, we, re- we open recognizing that there is kind of this, this spectrum of, of earthly examples of fathers, and so this word becomes packed with all kinds of emotion for different, for different reasons for some of us, some bad, some, some positive. And, and, and here's the thing. Uh, we were watching Matilda, and I asked Bryson this question, and he said to me, you know, you're the best daddy in the whole world. And that, you know, that made me feel good, and now I'm sharing it with you to make myself feel a little better. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not the best dad in the whole world. And I know that because I can remember all the times that I've failed my kids. Maybe fail is, is too strong of a word. But I remember the moments when I've lost my temper with my kids. And I raised a, my voice to a level where my daughter was, was afraid of her dad. Not in a good way. I remember the moments where, where I've had to go into their room and, and apologize to them because of of, of losing my temper and yelling at them. I, I can remember the countless moments when my kids, and this breaks my heart, but they say, Daddy, get off your phone. And here I am too distracted or too busy about consuming my own needs or whatever it is, and I'm ignoring my own children instead of taking advantage of this precious time that we have right now. Like, I know I am not the, most, I am not the best daddy in the world. And, and, and Jesus draws this distinction in Matthew 7 that the difference between any of us earthly fathers and, and God the Father is profound. He says, if then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? I don't think Jesus is saying that all, all earthly fathers are evil, but I just think he's pointing out the difference between his goodness and even the best fathers on earth. God is a good, good father. So now back to the question, what does it mean for us to not only have a father in heaven, but a good, good father in heaven? There's, there's many things we could touch on, but I want to quickly consider three uh, implications uh, found in the Lord's Prayer. Three implications. Um, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 is, is tucked in this larger teaching on prayer, which is actually tucked into a larger teaching, which is the Sermon on the Mount, Right? And in in this teaching on prayer, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15, Jesus used the title Father in in talking of God six different times. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus used Father multiple times. And and this past week, as I was just studying this, I was just drawn to these instances. So uh, as we think about just some of the implications of this, uh, let's use Jesus' use of the title Father as our guide this morning. Uh, the first time we see it is right away at the beginning in verses five through six. Again, part of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but it's part of a, even a, a, a broader teaching within the Sermon on the Mount that begins in chapter six, uh, where Jesus is talking about practicing your righteousness. If you go back to uh, chapter six, verse one, Jesus says, uh, talking about practicing your righteousness, and then he goes on to break that down into giving to the needy, praying, and fasting. And in all three of those is kind of this similar uh, formula or pattern uh, that when you practice your righteousness, whether giving to the needy, praying, or fasting, uh, do it in private. Don't do it so that you can get um, recognition and praise from other people, okay? 
We see an example here, verse five on the screen. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now there's a lot we can unpack there just in those verses, but here's where I want to draw our attention. Jesus' criticism here is around the need to be noticed, recognized, and praised by others for our own righteousness. In other words, this need, this incessant need to prove that we are enough, that we are good enough, that we are strong enough, that we are smart enough. And and if any of us have lived any amount of time in our current digital cultural moment, we understand that that is an exhausting pursuit. To prove ourselves good enough or smart enough or whatever that enough is, that is an exhausting pursuit. And and our world right now is totally, it's set up for that. Like what else is Facebook and Instagram and these things yet a a platform for us to prove to the world that we are enough of whatever we're trying to prove we are enough of? And Jesus is saying, you don't have to prove yourself to other people. Your Father in heaven knows your heart and knows exactly what you do in secret. So don't seek the approval of other people. Seek the approval of of God, your Father. Seek his good pleasure. Seek his approval. And after all, understand that you are his beloved son. You don't have to prove yourself. That is who you are in Christ Jesus. And so live in a way to, to, to please your Father, not seeking the approval, which is an exhausting, exhausting pursuit. Father's approval. Second thing we glean is... Uh, something about the the father's provision. Jesus continues uh, his teaching in verse seven and eight. He says this, and when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. In fact, Jesus is is gonna pick up on this idea in Matthew chapter seven. Um, God knows what we need before we ask, right? And so if, and he says that, like, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a, a, a loaf of bread, would give him a snake, right? No, your, your father knows exactly what you need. He is a good father, and he gives generously to his children. And for us, if, if we understand God as, as a giver of good gifts, the best gift being the gift of his spirit, right? If we understand this is who our heavenly father is that produces in us a sense of security and confidence and peace, which is particularly important as we navigate uh, an uncertain and broken world today. Our God provides and he watches over us just as a good father watches over his children. Again, it provides security, confidence, and peace. And third thing, just in this teaching, uh, it teaches us something about the father's forgiveness. The Father's forgiveness. After the, the teaching of the Lord's Prayer, verse 14, Jesus follows it up with a word on forgiveness. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your fa- Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other their sins, uh, your Father will not forgive your sins. Again, lots we could unpack there. What I simply want to draw our attention to is our Father's forgiveness. 
Friends, it reminds us that our father is a good father who desires to forgive his children. His desire is to forgive us. And as we mentioned last week, the hope, in the, the hope is that in our receiving that grace, that we would be transformed by the power of that grace in Jesus Christ and begin to live out that grace, right? That we receive forgiveness, we live out that forgiveness. It is God's desire for his children. And it reminds us of the assurance of the gospel, that the Father, based on his gracious love, offers to us something that is undeserved, but is offered through his one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Paul will write, but yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or Jesus in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It is a reminder to us all that God has done in sending his Son, Jesus Christ, to offer forgiveness that we did not deserve, that we did not earn, but we receive in grace by faith. And friends, this gives us confidence. This gives us confidence in the grace of the gospel to be those who seek restoration, healing, not only in ourselves, but in our relationships. The Father's approval, the Father's provision, and the Father's forgiveness. Just three implications we could go on. See, friends, the harsh reality of our broken world is, is indeed there is this vast spectrum in the quality of fathers and mothers. Fortunately, there are some fathers and mothers who resemble the characters of Matilda's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Wormwood, maybe even worse. But here's the good news. Jesus offers us something complete, a completely different representation of who our Father in heaven is. And I don't know about you, but the, the, the image from Scripture that I constantly return to as I think about who is God as this good, loving Father, my heart automatically, almost always, goes right to the, the parable of the prodigal son. And many of you are familiar with that, that parable, but a son disowns his dad, says, give me my share of the inheritance, runs off, squanders his wealth. And then we go back and we get this picture of a father Who's, who's, who's standing and waiting by the gate of the city for his son to return. And we read in verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, this lost son, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him, and then said, we gotta celebrate because this son of mine was lost, but he was found. He was dead, but now he is alive again. This is the image that reverberates in my heart and my soul of who is our God, our Father in heaven. The one Jesus invites us to pray to, a God of grace and love and forgiveness, healing, restoration, and hope. Let's pray that the Spirit would remind us of this truth. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for what you did, for what you accomplished by willingly laying down your life, giving your life, dying on a cross, 
taking on the weight of sin, our sin. And because, Lord, you took on our sin, Lord, you give to us your righteousness. And because of that, Lord, Heavenly Father, you see us not based on the mistakes and the failures that we've made, but, but based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, Lord, that we are your children. Lord, what a powerful and profound reality that this is. And Lord, just like this prayer can become so familiar, Lord, uh, this, this language around you as our Father, our loving parent, Lord, so often that can, that can become familiar that we, we miss how profound and, and life-changing that it is. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the hope and the confidence that that gives each and every one of us in this moment and as we go on from here. So Lord, as, as we pray, as we sing, remind us of this truth that we are your children. Praise be to God. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us. Please. 
Just a quick reminder, I'm sure you haven't forgotten, but we have a potluck, and uh, we'll need some, some help just changing over the room, so we'll take the center chairs, stack them up, move them here, and then we'll be bringing tables. If you have any questions, look for April. She's the boss. She'll tell you what to do. Right, April? She is. Or, yeah, hey, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> that was not planned, obviously. Uh, but as you go from here, uh, receive God's blessing. And uh, just a reminder, if, if you want to put your hands out like this, uh, this is a blessing that comes from our God who is good, who loves you, who loves you more than you can even put into words or imagine. And so receive this blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship, the communion of the fellow, this Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. And God's people say, amen. amen.